There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Conversations on Dance is proud to have Yumiko as a continued partner in 2021. Yumiko is a company inspired by beauty and standards. As a leader in the dancewear industry, they take great pride in their impact as a socially and environmentally conscious brand. As a part of this commitment, they've recently transitioned their workshop to 100% green energy, a substantial step in their sustainability journey. While staying devoted to eco-friendly production practices, Yumiko remains passionately focused on connecting and lifting the dance community to promote a more loving and equal world through the power of togetherness. For our listeners in the New York City area, Yumiko's flagship store is currently open with limited hours, or you can always shop online at yumiko.com. Be sure to follow along on Instagram at Yumiko to participate in their weekly giveaways and to stay updated on all things 2021. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Breeden. And you're listening to Conversations on Dance. Hi, everyone. Michael, hello. How are you? I'm doing well. We are happy to be rejoined by our one and only co-host, Evelyn Kosak. Hi, Evelyn. Happy to be back. Hello. This is Evelyn's second time guest co-host. We've only had one. And we still only have one. You're back. Hardly, hardly qualified, <laughs> but here I am. <laughs> well, there's more in the future planned, of course, too. Oh, yeah. No, I loved, I loved doing this. Thank you for having me back. Yeah. We have a super fun topic today that mm-hmm. we're excited to get into. So, Michael, tell us a little bit about what we're going to be talking about today. Well, there was um, an article in the New York Times called What is a Ballet Body? And it was, you know, it was dealing with a lot of the things that we've talked about on the podcast. Of course, it's not a new idea at all. The dancers suffer from body dysmorphia. And so, you know, we and we talked about the how, like, how can ballet like rid itself of that toxicity? How can we divorce ourselves from that, divorce that from the beauty of the art that we love so much? So, Rebecca was just kind of thinking like, maybe we could just get on and talk about what we can do to move past um, that particular issue. Like how does a company help dancers 
um, feel confident in their bodies, which are their instruments, but then also like a broader version of that, like what overall atmosphere um, perpetuates like a a great company that perpetuates a good attitude and, you know, good mental health that will ultimately lead to a great company experience. Yeah. And I think um, the whole past year has been very heavy. So instead of having a heavy topic, because we're starting to look towards the future, things are looking up, we're going to switch it and make it something positive and fun. So today we're going to create a fantasy company. And we're going to go through five different elements of companies. And we're going to just like chat about different things that we would do or could do or would want to do in a fantasy company. So our first topic for you guys to consider is your overall mission for your company. What would you, if you had to put like a mission in two to three statements or two to three sentences, what would you say? This is not a strength. I jotted something down. Okay, tell us. Well, I jotted this down like just before we started. I jotted down support the dancers, support the work. And I do think, and maybe that's a little minimalist and we can expand on that, but I think that you, like what, everything that you guys have been opening with, like we're all aware, we all enter into ballet knowing or dance, knowing that it's a short career, ballet is especially short. um, And you just don't, I are a lot of dancers don't think about how short it's going to be. They push that out of their minds. And so there's not a lot of preparation for, um, there's just a lot of immediacy. And so dancers will sort of just like put up with whatever the conditions in the company are, because it's a short career and you have to, to try to get the most out of it while you have time. Right. So I think that, you know, happier, the happier, the healthier the dancers are, the better the work is going to be, the better the work is going to look like the better the company will be. Yeah. I totally agree with that as well. Yeah, It's hard to not be, I don't know. I just don't have anything brilliant. Like we're helping, I don't know. What is it? What's a company's mission? Well, so here's one thing that came to mind for me and Michael, I'm sure this is something you've thought about too. Like, I, I don't remember if this was in Edward Valella's book or it's something he used to always tell us, maybe both, that he wanted to create a company that he would have wanted to dance in. Oh, I like, yeah, which I is, love that. Yeah. yeah, and it's like, like you said, Evelyn, like maybe it is a little simplistic. Like obviously we know that there's so many elements that go into running an organization like this, but this is our fantasy. So, you know, this, this isn't real. We can be basic. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, you're right because – if you create an, an atmosphere and a place where people want to dance more, you'll attract talent and then your products will get better. You know, it's mm-hmm. a kind of, it feels like a snowball effect in that way, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, there's yeah. such a hierarchy to the whole structure of a ballet company too. And I like in some of my fantasy planning of like what company would I want to dance for? Like, I'd love to dance for a company where like you're not only answering to an artistic director or I mean for me I usually had more struggle with cert- with like a specific ballet mistress who just like hated me because I reminded her of something in herself or whatever and I think that happens a lot in companies mm-hmm. um, it was a theme that happened for me throughout throughout different companies that I was in I'm not even mm-hmm. talking about like a specific person but I think like if it wasn't, if that dynamic was already changed, this sort of like hierarchy of power and it was more of a like 
you're working in a collective and I, and there are companies mm-hmm. that already do function more, more that like way. That. Yeah. Um, yeah. I definitely think dividing up power would help that as well. I mean, theoretically, ballet masters and artists like the larger artistic staff have power and yeah they they do but it does usually tend to just be dictated by one person i've been in places where it's the artistic director i've been in places where it's a specific ballet master and the artistic director is maybe a little asleep at the wheel i've been you know i've seen that happen in specific companies so it does tend to be one person or maybe two people, but if you could make it more, you know, so it's the powers divided. I was really intrigued by when city ballet, like in that transition from Peter Martins, when they initially were run by this like collective Mm -hmm. of artistic directors, I thought, I mean, it's so different from what we're how we're used to a ballet company being run, but I was really like, this maybe could work to have so many different voices at the mm-hmm. top. And yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I think that organically brings us to another one of our topics, which is the artistic staff makeups. Um, so I was curious who you guys might, we don't need to like name names or anything, but I'm thinking like backgrounds um, for the artistic staff, maybe ages, um, stuff like that. What are you guys thinking there, Evelyn? Well, I feel so when I was like uh, a couple of weeks ago, I like made a fantasy company with a friend. Like we were kind of doing this when we were just like sitting around drinks <sighs> and it is. And then I came home and like told Michael about it and we were so excited and we kept the ball rolling. And I do think there's this tendency to want to work with your friends because that's part of like being in the company that you want to be in. Mm -hmm. So I'd have to, I would want to work with my talented friends, but I think that's some, sometimes that becomes some of the problem Mm -hmm. in these artistic, in the structure of these um, Mm -hmm. companies, because Mm -hmm. people just hire the people they danced with and they just sort of keep repeating the same pattern and the same problems and if they're friends too chances are you have the same artistic view which isn't bad a bad thing right but Mm -hmm. it's also good to have people with like a different taste level different things that they're looking for so that you can come together on things that's interesting right yeah i don't know it's definitely dangerous when people just get grandfathered in and have no skill set i mean you know we've it's been talked about plenty about how artistic directors like they aren't required to have the skills that an actual artistic director has like the the main you know point for getting that job is just was the principal at either abt or new york city ballet that's it Mm -hmm. which of course doesn't qualify you for anything other than being a principal at those companies like it's not just a a, a leap over in an exact way so leadership training yeah ever like they just sort of assume that someone's naturally capable of being a leader because they were a principal dancer which is just not how it works mm-hmm. so that's on my list I mean, management uh-huh. training uh-huh. and like and like like when yeah. you're in a like a big organization like a normal business people who are managers go to management like conventions and stuff regularly mm-hmm. every year and mm-hmm. like you're saying it's like 
we're qualified, all of us, everyone in this situation is qualified to be ballet dancers first. Like all the other things have to be learned and you can't just like, mm-hmm. of course you learn over time too. But I think like I, if I were a ballet master, I would want to learn about like management and the psychology of it and that sort of thing. Cause I just think it would also make me feel more comfortable as to like, you right. know, what to do. Mm-hmm. There just aren't screening processes for those jobs. You just get them because you just finished I mean, it's just like, I mean. Yeah, I think ballet is often, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I was done. That was it. (laughs) Ballet is often this like um, tradition of sink or swim. Like from from when you're a dancer learning, you know, a big role that you have no experience how to do on stage to to then – moving on to these um, artistic staff roles. Like there's just this assumption in ballet that they're going to throw you into it. And if you're um, you'll, you'll succeed if you're, if you sort of have what it takes to like succeed in that sink or swim environment, which Mm -hmm. I just think leaves so many people behind throughout the career. That puts the burden entirely on the dancers and never on the artistic staff, which is another thing, you know, we've talked about with people in tons of different companies. It's like, I, you know, I remember hearing about people being punished in different ways. Like, Ooh, this person can't do this part because, you know, they just don't have like their feet aren't strong enough or like they don't, that I, she can't do, she doesn't do April ma well. And it's just like, well, you know, that like you being in the front of the room can fix that. That's what I love about being in the front of the room is that, you, you get to say everything you see and you get to help people and you can see changes. Like that's what is exciting and fun to me. But I think that it goes back to like those people. I don't know if they maybe don't have the talent for it. They may, but it also is like ballet has just always had this tradition of like, we're going to just not say anything and see how this person does. And if they win, then if they win the hunger games of ballet. Like, like they can have parts. I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to switch it. I'm going to throw something at you guys that I had while I was thinking about this. Cause I'm thinking you're right. All these things are saying are very true. How do we change it? How do we fix it? What are your thoughts on having some sort of apprenticeship program for ballet masters? There would be dancers from the company. There's like, let's say two positions per year and two dancers, or, or I don't know, maybe, maybe it's more, maybe it's couple months or something like that but then those dancers get to go in and start not just because they're principals because they applied for it or whatever you know like you have to sign up Mm -hmm. and explain why and then and then it's not even like you're training people to come into your company with those skills but you're giving them the skills after their career to go on and be good at their job and kind of develop this process like yeah like michael was saying the first time he was setting ballets he's like you had this big a big job setting a ballet for Mm -hmm. a world-renowned choreographer it would have been nice to have some sort of time where it was like the stakes were a little less and you could have like worked on your process Mm -hmm. right right i think that's an amazing plan rebecca like that's i think that should happen i think that dancers like if they're interested at a certain point in their career, they could maybe like apply and they Mm -hmm. have to like present, you know, some of these ideas about how they would perform in the role of Mm -hmm. artistic staff of being on the artistic staff. And then, and then if they like, you know, are accepted into this program, then it's a year maybe of learning how to do the work alongside maybe still being a dancer. Like maybe you're not, finished dancing yet but you're you're starting to like 
develop this other set of skills. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. that's great. I think and, I, that's- and I think so often too, like sometimes that happens for older dancers, right? Like when they're towards the end of their career, maybe they've had a conversation with artistic staff where they start to do these little things here and there. But like what happened if it was earlier in your career? And then not- Then it's to- just, it's like anything. It's just like some people will have a natural knack for this position. And then other people who were dancers- who are good dancers just can't, you know, make that flip over. It's, it's not, they're not the same thing at all. They're completely different skills. Someone who is not a very good dancer might be an excellent repetitor. Mm -hmm. I think, I mean, this also is just bringing up for me, some of what I was jotting down about taking care of the dancers while they, you know, while they're there, while they're dancing. And I think having, training and resources for dancers outside of um well just any just any training or resources not even not even geared towards becoming a member of the artistic staff but acknowledging even that like your career will end at some point and like Mm -hmm. having um some sort of like assistance with planning and I'm sure there's no assistance because the people working in the company no one helped them and it just, mm-hmm. it just keeps repeating, you know, mm-hmm. this like cycle of all of us pretending that a ballet career is never going to end. And you're almost, there's almost this stigma. I'm sure it's getting, it's gotten better. It continues to get better, I'm sure. But there's this stigma of like pursuing, if you're pursuing something else outside of dance or what your life might be outside of dance when you're done, there's this idea that you're not as focused on your career as you could be, or it's taking focus mm-hmm. away from it. And it's like, you have to be all in to be a dancer, but then you leave dance and you're really unprepared in so many ways to do anything outside of dance. Or what yeah. about an injury? Like, you know, it can end without a planning process too, you know? So mm-hmm. yeah, I love sure. that. What are some ideas that we have for ways that I mean, other than, I guess, you know, partnering with some programs like Leap, we've talked um, with, you know, with them on the podcast before, and I think they're starting to expand their offerings. I know they're offering it to Miami City Ballet Dancers now, Um, but I wonder what else, what other things would be interesting. I think they need an in-house therapist, although I would worry that this therapist would be like reporting to artistic staff. I probably would never want to go to them when I was a dancer, which is problematic. But I think that like there needs to be so much more mental help for dancers Mm -hmm. when they're Mm -hmm. in their career. Like Mm -hmm. navigating stage fright, which is like something that I always want to like bring into, you know, I, that's another thing that I think dancers are afraid to talk about or acknowledge that they have. Um, I think there's a lot of, now there's more help like with making sure dancers are supporting their bodies, like through physical therapy or whatever. There's more help with that than there was like Mm -hmm. back 30 years ago or whatever, but the mental aspect of it, I just don't know that dancers are supported in that way. So and they thinking, should be. I was thinking about this too because I was also thinking that like having a nutritionist would be super super helpful mm-hmm. in a in a way like you're saying. I was thinking about it like physical therapists. It was didn't used to be available. Now it's available all the time and is incredibly mm-hmm. helpful as we all know. But also, and it's not. I'm saying I'm not saying like nutritionist 
to help fat people or, you know, or like make it something negative like that. Like, I don't know. I would have found that a tr- like such a great resource for just like making sure you're giving your body what you need when you're working as hard as we were. It would just have been such a great resource. And I think, you know, therapy is along those lines as well would be just like mm-hmm. therapy. I can see though is a little bit more, like you said, it's a little bit of an issue because maybe you're telling them things and a nutritionist would be able to be a little more, you know, I know, but it's just like, I worry too. Well, again, this is just like, you have to have good people on the staff, but I can just imagine the director being like, I think you should go to the therapist or I think you should go to the nutritionist. And that gives me like that. Remember we're the directors of this company. So we don't, right, right. We're the directors. We don't do that. But I still think like being told, you know, talk to a nutritionist is better than being like, we're taking you out of your parts because you're too fat. At least it's still a solution to a pro or or a potential solution, you know? Well, okay. So I want to talk about that for a second, since that was like what the article was talking about. That was kind of what inspired this talk. My idea was always just like, why, you know, I do think that our body standards are, they're ridiculous and that they are unfair. But outside of that, there are moments where, you're not like your most in shape. Like even people that are, you know, don't don't necessarily have like any sort of issues with like the body ideal, like someone who's just always fit, but like you're not necessarily your most in shape. Like why would you not, if you thought someone wasn't their best self, taking them out of things is the absolute worst thing have you them can dance do all day long. in terms of, mm-hmm. right. And I think then that this would also tie in nicely to something that I, would like to to put into our company. Mm-hmm. I feel like companies have cut back and back and back on numbers of performances and even things like, you know, in-studio performances and lecture demonstrations, like that is something that is valuable. You don't need to just do mm-hmm. the big thing all the time. You know, it doesn't need to be your main home theater or a tour or whatever. Like, I just think if you should just be performing 24-7 and if you want to throw the like you know, less prestigious things to someone that's new or someone that like, yeah, maybe you're like, you're not ready. You're not in shape enough to do, I don't know what, square dance or something. Like, let's put you in all the, let's just get you on stage all the time. And dancers are always happiest when they're on stage. Mm -hmm. So it's just more shows is better, Mm -hmm. even if it's not necessarily, you know, like I'm performing at the Met Mm -hmm. in front of 5,000 people. Right. I want to circle back to some of these um, ways that we would interact with our dancers, but I also want to transition really fast to our repertory um, mission and what your thoughts are there now that we're talking about performances. So other than a performance every night, what else do you have, Michael? Yeah. Um, So this is something I thought about because like we used to do fantasy companies all the time. Remember Callie and I one time, I don't know what program we were doing. I'm going to guess it was a full length. But we we created, a, we made a company and we made like five seasons of programming. But it's like now I look back on it and like we we, we did, what was Edward's early mission, which was just like, I wanted to do a, you know, we only do masterworks, he used to say, which is like, that's great. But, and on paper, that, that sounds great. Like, oh yeah, we're, it's a meritocracy. We only just put the best things out. But that automatically eliminates like, you know, more than 50% of the voices 
in the dance world, like primarily women and people of color. So, mm-hmm. um, and then the argument, this is often not an argument for like why there are not more, especially women of color at the top ranks. I remember, I don't remember which director it was. And it's just like, you know, I think he said something along the lines of like, if there was an amazing black woman that could be a principal, I would hire her in the spot. Like a sort of like, see, I'm not racist. Mm-mm. Which is like, I think that they meant that. I think he really meant like, I would do that. The problem is that you're taking the burden off of yourself. So it has to start from the the bottom up. If you don't cultivate that, if you don't offer access, then... Right. It's um, to acknowledge that the system has prevented any Black woman from being able to be positioned to mm-hmm. have that opportunity. Uh, right. So I think that we, like a program of Masterworks would, it would just not be including a lot of, you know, it'd be all primarily white male choreographers because that's who they've had the chance to break through. So I think what you need to do is, you know, you have to start at the bottom. If there aren't, like, if you're like, if you're complaining, it's like, well, there aren't just aren't any like well-known black choreographers that we can just plug in because we only do Masterworks. Well, that's on you then. So I think you have to, Maybe, you know, you have to start programs where you're encouraging people, women and, and people of color in particular at a young age to get in the studio and start making things. It's like Justin Peck just did, you know, a couple little things. He he just did like an institute and it was like, all the, you know, Peter saw it and was like, wait, you're like, you know, a baby genius. And now here's the uh, main stage premiere. And oh, wait, that main stage premiere is you're the rabbit and everyone loves it. And now you're, mm-hmm. you know, this. Right. So there's no reason that that couldn't happen. But you have to give the people the opportunity, like, mm-hmm. maybe some core girl wants to to do a little ditty in the studio. And then you're, you're like, oh, wait, she's brilliant. And now like, and you build up to the main stage works. Yeah. I have a solution for our problem again, that I'd like what to is throw it? at you. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So I was thinking about this. Now, I don't know if the fractioning is right. I'm thinking that you, you take, cut the repertory into, um, three parts. Maybe, you know, it's not totally equal, but you have this, you know, the portion that's masterworks, your balancing, your classics. Those are the things we have to remember that sell tickets too. So there's like that marketing part of it that just has mm-hmm. to be plugged in. Of course, Nutcracker does not, you know, Nutcracker is part of it, but not mm-hmm. this, um, it's like external. Then we have choreographers that are living right now that are, are, you know, choreographing all around the world. These are your big name people. And I think that there's a few reasons for that. There's the marketing reason because it will bring in people. Right. But I think also it's important for your dancers to have experience with these people. They can always put that on their resumes if they're not in your company. If they go on to you know, do anything else within the art form, they can always say that they had those experiences with those people. Mm -hmm. And then the other portion is just from your company, like new people come, you know, getting these opportunities. And maybe it's not all like Michael was saying, it's not main stage premieres, but then you use that for outreach stuff. Like Miami city ballet has been doing these Mm pop-ups all around Mm -hmm. the city. And they, they were doing that because of COVID, but I really hope that it continues because it was just, dance like I think they just let people sign up and then those dancers got to choreograph and I don't think they've ever some of them had never choreographed before and maybe they love it and maybe it was really they were really good at it and maybe Mm -hmm. other people were like oh this isn't for me and then that's great too to explore Mm -hmm. so I just and and I think so I think that could be like a really fun element to it 
where like you're saying, like then you're able to give all these people those opportunities and bring in something new, mm-hmm. show that you're innovating and that you're like cultivating art within your company, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. It's a great plan. I think we got to just like, if develop like your dancers in different ways. Like I know we're talking about ways and that we do it within the art form. And then I think Evelyn, like your point as to what would they do after mm-hmm. is just, it's all around just such an important thing because who knows too, if your dancers will go on to be a part of your development team or your marketing right. team or whatever. It's like, you know, there's so many powerful ways that they could still be connected to the art form and contribute, even if it's not in your company and, in, mm-hmm. you know, in another way. And I think these are these areas that aren't being developed mm-hmm. enough. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Should we go to back to dancers and the way, um, we would communicate with them. How many dancers would you think you would want in your company? Mm. I think that's I mean, important. 50. 50. Yeah. 50 it's it's just, good. that's the easy. I mean, that's what we all basically spent most of our time with. Well, Evelyn, you danced in Berlin. That's like, that was about a hundred people. Yeah. That was a lot of people. And then I just think that that's a hard lost, number. You can get lost in that really. You can go real lost. Easily. And then you're just, you know, cog in the machine. Right. Um, Wait, but let's, so let's talk about ranks though. I'm not actually in my head. I I don't would know. Would you have ranks? Yeah, I would think no. I think so. I don't, I, it's not something I've given a, a great deal of thought to. Yeah, I think it's gotta go. But I don't know that it's healthy. I don't, I would like to, I would like to do a study to see if unranked companies like fare better mentally or if. I agree with everything that we're saying. There's only one counterpoint that I have for a second. And we know that this is like, kind of a thing when you leave a an unranked company and you go somewhere else and if you dance like principal roles it gets confusing Mm -hmm. how to communicate that you did that but i guess it's like yeah yeah, i mean we have to be the change we want to see in the world rebecca we're our company is not ranked (laughs) no no no. i'm not saying that that's the reason why no i know no 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 well, I don't know. I guess, but when they leave, they have to give their resume and it's just like, it's obvious what they've done. That's and at this point, everyone has video, you know. That's true. And the, and the experience, like the resume, the ballets that you've actually danced, the roles you've actually danced Is should speak for itself more than your rank. It right. should. Like it, right. that, it, ideally that's how, you know, it would function across all companies, but. Yeah. And like, again, like we're saying, then that doesn't make anyone because of what principal roles they dance more qualified for a different role within the field because right. you it's just the company you were in or, well, or yeah i the mean d- the thing is like dance. once you get once you hit your rank then it's just like they do so much bending over backwards to be like well this person is a soloist and they don't have anything so we have to give the soloist this thing even though it should just be your qualifications as for the role well and working the other way too like a lot of times in the in a medium oh, right, right. mid-sized company, you, you know, you get promoted to solos and then you dance a lot of core roles still, which I actually like loved and always felt very at home in, but it just felt like I had to process it as some sort of like, um, reflection of like my, like progress moving backwards or something. Mm-hmm. Right. But yeah. if you can think of it that way, if you just thought like, I love these ballets and I love dancing with my friends and right. yeah. it's, and it's a great part. And I don't feel embarrassed that like I did something wrong and mm-hmm. I have to move backwards now, then you yeah. would just enjoy dancing 
the part. Mm-hmm. And then what about soloists too, who like, I, we've heard people say also that they kind of miss that. Like if you're in a company where it's like, you're a soloist now, you, there's rules, you don't do core stuff. Like they kind of, like they're not dancing every night. Dance which much you yeah. dance much less. Right. Everything's more stressful. You don't ever really just get to go out on stage and have fun with your friends. And then they kind of like miss that element. But again, like you're saying, if that came back for them, they'd be like, what did I do wrong? Why is this? Right. And so if there aren't rules like that. And I right. think also when people start to move up and then there's less people in the court, puts more pressure on the core too. Like, especially like core women, I'm thinking like, you know, if there's less of you, then it's like everybody doing the same stuff every night, but then there's just soloists sitting, doing nothing, not that they want to, but you know, it's like, it kind of can kick. It doesn't really make sense. Yeah. yeah, It can Mm -hmm. kind of ruin the balance a little bit. How about Mm -hmm. casting? How would you do casting? Okay. Well, I mean, I just, I just think with casting, it's like, you just have to do as many cast, like as many casts, as many people in the room, as many, you know, the, the more the merrier. Like the other thing that I never, like I always thought would be like, I would want to do with casting is I feel like I would want to go through the whole season. I would want to write down every dancer's name, go through the whole season, see what they're cast in and then see where people were lighter. Like, oh, these people only... Oh shoot! They only had three roles. Like, how else are you going to catch that? This is you, like, this is literally one meeting with artistic staff. If you have fifty people, I mean, maybe it's more than one meeting. A yeah. couple meetings. It's like let's go over the season and just go through w- with one one dancer at a time and talk about. Well, okay, so program two, there just isn't much for them, but we can make it up for the, them the next program so that they have something to look forward to because this actually suits them and blah blah. blah. It's right. just not that you hard. Give me an idea. What if like, uh, yeah, well, like if you're, if the artistic staff is sitting down and doing this in the summer, let's say with each dancer individually, and they've like sort of laid out this ideal season map for their dancer, which inevitably will change Change. because people get injured, things Mm -hmm. change, whatever. But let's say they have this like sense of where that dancer is going to, how the map of how that dancer's season is going to go. They should sit, sit down with the dancer and have a meeting with them where they reveal this season map for them and they can talk about it and there's no there's no like anticipation or disappointment when the casting sheet goes up Mm -hmm. and you're not on it you're prepared for what you're dancing that Mm -hmm. like a syllabus almost yeah that would be nice i mean because well, I don't know. Do we we hate the casting sheet going up, right? I guess I don't know. It's I mean, like I it, hate it when I'm not on it. Yeah, I was just right. Say, I was it's like, just sometimes. But is that, is that does that kind of circle back to just like us? Like if if it works, like it makes it does make you feel good. Like the special thing. I think maybe. it was power. It was a way of like because um, I just remember like the timing of when you know that casting sheet would go up oh, and like wow. I just I, I I think it's manipulative it's a manipulation of power Mm -hmm. the casting sheet's gotta go have a frank discussion with a dancer about what their season is going to look Mm -hmm. like it they do that with principles oh i love i can't they do that with everyone right i loved this moment where i was not necessarily being taken out of something but i was being skipped over for someone and they told that person that they were going to do the part but they didn't tell me Mm. i mean yeah you don't want to deliver bad news but like you have to do it i had i mean when did i do that I had to do that as a repetitor, but it was I'm just like, I knew it was really important to do, to go over and tell the person like, yeah. you aren't going to be able to do this. It doesn't mean that we didn't like you. It's a, for this reason, mm-hmm. you know. I'm not saying that it shouldn't 
that it's inflexible either. Mm -hmm. I think there should be, it should be subject to change, like not only because things happen and, you know, with dancers, but because things happen in a positive way too. Like someone can be improving throughout their season or a repetitor comes in and they want to use the, that, that's an element that's tricky because if the repetitor is casting something, then like, I guess you can't know in advance what, right. you know, but, but open, you know, yeah. but right. like also like you're saying, like, wouldn't that be motivational too? You know, like we're really, right. we're thinking about putting you in this ballet. We're not totally sure yet, but your name is there. And so we, we want to, you know, it's at the end of the season. So we want to see your work throughout the year. Like, mm-hmm. I just feel like that would be something to look forward to and something to work towards, well, we had that a little bit at Miami City Ballet because we staged nearly every ballet before the whole season yeah. started. So it was a different thing, yeah, which is interesting. Like, it's a mm-hmm. like I, I liked that in that way, being like, because you could be like, well, my program three is going to be gross, good. but then program four, like I, yeah. I can be working all program three because program four, I'm in all three ballets. Right. Mm-hmm. But then there's also something to be said for like, rehearse a program, do the ballets, and then move on to the next thing. Cause then you can feel like a more direct reward, maybe like, okay, I nailed that program. And now I'm going to go into this next program with them, like feeling positively about me. Mm-hmm. And I think also maybe like, so I'm, so as our, as our, we are artistic directors of this company. I also mm-hmm. think that would like, so you see a dancer, like, let's say you're talking the Miami city ballet model where everything's laid out ahead of time. We've rehearsed everything. Everyone knows what their casting is. And then you see a dancer have like a really good program one, like, you know, before Nutcracker. And then like the rest of the season, because of whatever the programming is, they're just like not really around as much. Totally forgot that that dancer had a good program and right. did really great stuff because, and then maybe it was because of an injury, you know, that you got like someone got that opportunity. And so then there's not they're forgotten and then there's not that chance to grow in the way you would have hoped, you know? And then I think mm-hmm. as an artistic director, mm-hmm. that would be like fun to be able to move the ball along, you know? Okay. You this know. is a lot. I'm, this is maybe wild. I had another thought. What if you have this meeting at the beginning of the season, but you have the dancer tell you what they think they will be dancing. And then you come to some sort <laughs> and then of you're negotiation. Just like, nope. I don't know. That's funny, Sue. You're actually not cast in anything. I think dancers tend to underestimate themselves usually. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying that's true for all. There's a lot of dancers who think they should be doing the world without, and it's not warranted. But I think for the most part, you find a lot of dancers being pretty realistic about what they should be dancing or could be dancing. I agree 100%. You you could come to the director or the team of directors because I think it's a commune and you, and you present your plan as a dancer. You say like, this is what I, I would like to be dancing. This is maybe the ballet, the role that I would like to be striving for. I know this one's Mm -hmm. maybe like a little out of my reach right now, but I would love to be in the room and, and learning it. Mm Mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think dancers kind of like, that's where the disappointment comes in is when they had an expectation about something they think they should be doing or they could be doing it and they're not. So what if that was just expressed from the outset Mm -hmm. and then you're kind of like navigating that disappointment before the season even begins. Right. Navigate that. I like that. I mean, the more communication, the better. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Communication is key. 
Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I hated asking for, I mean, I did it plenty, but like the early days, I remember getting the sweats so bad. Like when I was like 21 or two and asking thing for things, you know, not anything that was a big deal, but just like to be in a room. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, did I? No, I didn't ask to learn that. But it's just, yeah, you, you, you like, you just feel like this hot shame overcome right. you. Right. But then you gain that experience too. That's another life you know, skill that you're learning how to like be in a meeting with a person, a higher up, you know, managerial person and learn how to like, um, express your needs. And, um, why can't I think of the word negotiate? Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, but that's true. I mean, there's so many situations yeah. later in life where you're going to have to do that. And so it's, and also it's like in that way you're forced to do it because you can go years without ever talking to the artistic staff if you want. You can just oh, you sit sure that can. back. That's why I think they, they need to normalize meetings. Yeah. yeah. Normalize meetings. Mm-hmm. Should dancers negotiate their salaries? Because principals do. So should, mm-hmm. should dancers, if we're a rankless company. I know. That's what I was thinking. That was one thing about the rankless company. I was just like, oh my God. I don't know. It's hard. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not putting this the blame on artistic or anything i just think i think back of me as a dancer like think about how hard it was to ask to learn parts sometimes yeah. that actually you know almost We're every free. part i asked to learn <laughs> i performed in the end okay. so clearly it wasn't like okay. you're disgusting and that's why we didn't have you right. so i mean like that worked out but like i haven't asked about money i just i would have oof I would have floundered. That's another skill that like dancers don't know how to like, I have no financial skills and I have no sense of my own worth in terms of a salary. Yeah. It's been the worst part of adjusting to Mm -hmm. real life is like, Telling people like, I know I'm disgusting and garbage, but can you give me five dollars for what I'm doing? Like, why do we uh, feel that way? We, we so we, we watched. Learn how to do better. So right. We watched Barb and Star the other night, uh-huh. which is it's, it's so good. But like this one line that really resonated, I can't something about it's Kristen Wiig is like writing her love interest in it, and she goes. Hi, it's me, the disgusting woman from the other night. <laughs> like, That's like literally us approaching the staff. Yeah. <laughs> crying. That's so yeah. good. It really resonated with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. No, that's a really interesting point. I mean, and you know, like even in unranked companies, they have pay grades, right? I mean, it's like in the quarter ballet, there's pay pay scales that are just like mm-hmm. representing know, right. seniority or whatever. And then if you yeah. want anything beyond that, like you can go in and talk or, about it. I mean, also directors can take that leap themselves too. Yeah. And that's like, like they the can promotion. Feel like you are getting a pay raise. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, we have one other section about executive responsibilities, which is maybe really boring, but well, it's not boring. It's just like, this is not something I got to pass the baton to someone else on this. So that was one of the things I had on there was to have like a board makeup that's in your rules that it's like a certain number of people have to be former dancers. And then you have to have an advisory board that's fully made up of dancers or yes. artistic. Oh, I like an advisory companies. board moment. Yeah. Cause I think, yeah, I think that you have to have business people on the board. Like that's essential. And they're probably not you need going their money. You need their money. You need the cash money Yeah, and their experience. With and their support, of course. Yeah. 
Right. But Not you got to minimize. Yeah, no, I agree. And then the other thing, and then this is kind of goes back to one of Michael's favorite stories about like, if you don't know, you just have to know that you don't know. And you have to admit, like, I don't know about oh, yeah. this. I don't know about running a company. So I need to bring these people in and have them around me and, mm-hmm. you know, support me because I don't know what I don't know. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's ha- you have to have basically if a company was just run by people that were fully confident in themselves, confident enough to ask for help, then I think everything would, every issue would disappear. We solved it. It's just because we solved it. You just have to be, you just have to know yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Like know what your strengths and weaknesses are and then surround yourself with people whose strengths support you in that way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like the story, Michael, of, of Nutcracker, you know, learning Nutcracker choreography. Do you remember this the story? That oh, I got, would get maybe. mad when people wouldn't learn the bal- the Balanchine Nutcracker choreography because I was like, it's on YouTube. Like you just go home and you learn it at home, and then you come in and you know it, and then you oh, look super right. smart because oh, yeah. you're like, I'm Rebecca, so good at learning yeah. choreography. You don't know what you this don't know. This was Rebecca's. The highlight of Rebecca's career was one time we got singled out together. Uh-huh. It was like a we were getting a stern talking to, like the core was a mess. Uh-huh. And she was, and the, the ballet mistress was just like, you could be like Rebecca or you could be like Michael and just always know what you're doing or something along those lines. And Rebecca was like, I finally pulled the wool over everyone's, everyone's eyes. eyes. I did it. <laughs> no one knows that I'm secretly going work. up and getting videos and watching them in my apartment and writing down yeah. everything. Yeah. But see, that's, but it's that's just like work. acknowledging your weakness. Like that was not a strength for me. And I didn't mm-hmm. want to feel uncomfortable in the studio when everyone yeah. was just like, I learned this fast. I still have nightmares mm-hmm. about it. Right. Oh, you know? I hate, <laughs> I am not a fast learner either. No. It's the, it's the worst. I don't know. Maybe I could be a fast learner, but my anxiety about learning quickly mm-hmm. always prevented me from oh. being a fast learner. It's, so- it's only out of necessity. I feel like for um, like emergency situations. Yeah. It's not really, re- it just depends on what your schedule is. You know, yeah. it's an asset when, you know, you have to switch something in a matter of hours, but yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, great. No, like great for, great for you. That you're fast. <laughs> Like, I'm happy for the people who are. But, like, again, back to the initial idea. Like, more support for the dancers who aren't. Don't right. don't be like, you can't oh, get out of here. We don't have time for you. Yeah. Yeah, I have one last question to wrap us up. Michael and I like to have this in our lightning round sometime of a dream production. So, in our fantasy company, we have no budget. We can do whatever we want. What is a fantasy production that you would want to do? The first thing that came to mind is impossible. But I'll just Let's start it. out there. Balancing seven deadly sins. Mine too. <laughs> Mine too. Yeah, it's not possible. It's not possible. It, it's like, a lost ballet, but like no. But we have, we somehow get into Allegra's brain and get it out. And and like, what if you did something though, where it was like an adaptation though, and you had like choreographers work on taking bits and pieces and then fill in the holes? Michael's done. Okay, and it does not it's go not well. The right thing. And turn out great yeah okay okay second idea full scale <laughs> full scale recreation of the set like the the way the set in balanchine's um film of midsummer looks where there's like a castle on stage yeah. and <laughs> i like that i want that i, I want that production it. of midsummer it's, it's very hard to not 
just make this all about balancing. That's okay. I have, okay. I, I would like, well, no, this is like, I want a good production, like a really lavish, maybe dark production because it's one of my, it's my, maybe my favorite music for a full length. Well, that's doing Tchaikovsky dirty, but Cinderella, Prokofiev's Cinderella, I think is the most beautiful you are music. A Cinderella stan. I, I am a Cinderella stan. The music, it's yeah. just, but there's no, there isn't really a good production of it. No, I'm dancing some really bad ones. Oh, oh <laughs> some rough ones, but I just want something that's like, yeah. like, like sort of Laval's vibes, you know, because yeah. the music is dark. Yeah. Rebecca, what's yours? I, I don't really, I, I don't know. No. I think that, I think that my fantasy would actually be for everyone to not request full length ballets. I know that's not a fantasy production, but it's just like, what if we didn't have to do that? Your fantasy production is anything that's not a full length. Yes. <laughs> anything that's not a class. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, oh one rule. But. One little rule I would throw in for um, four T's the, with the original costumes. Sorry. Ah, I like that. Oh, or like a serenade <laughs> with the original costume. I can't see Mary Ellen. Um, Sorry, what you one, one final thing, thought on rep, rep okay. is that I understand, we all understand the necessity for full lengths, mm-hmm. but I feel like, A, you gotta, you gotta make casting as, as good as possible, like in terms of letting people do something, even if it's just like, like a character part. I don't know, just to do anything to let you have fun. But okay, but my rule would be that you have to, if you're going to do something like Don Q, the rest of the season has to be bomb. Yes. It's got to be like you, the, the next thing after Don Q is like a Balanchine triple bill mm-hmm. of Serenade Symphony and Three and Ballet Imperial or something everyone that's like dancing. where everyone is dancing mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. And the rest, and you have to, and you rehearse yeah, that you while you're performing Don Q, so that you just like so that you're feel ready, like you're still doing things. Yeah, I, mean, I think I remember the last time we did Don Q, they were really good about cast. We did a lot of casts, and it made it made it a little bit less painful because mm-hmm. it's like it was nicer to just see different people do things. Mm-hmm. You know what I? What's one thing that you know we're saying like have six casts of everything. Yes. Mm-hmm. I was six cast of Queen of the Dryads, and <laughs> that's something I could do without. So that could I, that was too many long-legged ladies in the room, just <laughs> and small studios at this unnamed company that I was in. So that didn't really work. <laughs> Are we all agreed that we're doing Balanchine's Nutcracker? I mean, why would you do anything? Yeah, else? yeah. There's no other one. There's no yeah. other one. <laughs> No I mean, too many companies do it, but it's our, you know, it's our company. Yeah. It's our fantasy. It's our yeah. company do it. Yeah. I think we created a all wonderful right. I company. Think we've, now yeah, all we need is our budget. Some good things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, you know, maybe I'll win the lottery and we can just put it all into this, this effort. Okay. Mm-hmm. We may not have audiences, but we will have dancers and, you know. Thanks, you guys. That was super fun. I enjoyed that. That was fun. Thank you. Thanks, that, Yeah, I like some of our ideas. Yeah. Maybe we'll expand on it in the future. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.